Welcome to the Captain's Corner Podcast, brought to you by Buddy Garrity Motors. Hey y'all, it's Buddy Garrity here, okay? Now listen up, we got a very, very special guest with you today. Okay, like I said last episode, I went back to Texas and I talked to Coach Taylor. Hell, I even met with the Boosters, okay? Now I come up with a great episode for you. We thought that well, we would take some of this back to Kenosha for the Captain's Corner podcast, and we would say, hey, you need to get the face of your program on the show. They need to know who he is, and without further ado, that's exactly what we're going to do today. Okay, now listen. We're going to get you right into it. Coach Matt, tell them what we got for today. Wow, that is what an introduction. What an introduction. Buddy Garrity, always thank you for the sponsorship. Yeah, so big shout out to Buddy. Thanks, Buddy. Yep. Have a safe trip back. Big day today. Big day. We actually got here by hook or by crook. We got Nate Nicholas. He's here. Nate, say hi to everyone. Hello, everybody. I am in the house. Nate's He's in the house. in the building. In the building. We, 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 had, we, blood. we had to trick him here. We had a trick to get him here. Yep. You know, Ooh, Nate's piece a, of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, all piece of candy. Well, Nate, you're a busy guy now. How old's that baby of yours? She, Romy, is three months now. Wow. Three months. So that's keeping you pretty busy, huh? She is busy, and, you know, it's it's awesome to have her. You know, it's one of the it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in Atlanta, and um, she's beautiful, she's healthy, and we're blessed to have a healthy baby. That's, that's awesome. awesome. How, how long have you been in town? Because you guys just won whatever it was in Florida, right? Yeah, so we um we won the Florida State League Championship and drove home. It took me a couple of days, and I've been home for about two weeks now. Cool. Two weeks, and we got him into the podcast. Two weeks. Dude. That's honestly, if we were to bet the high or low, or the oh, over-under, I bet and how many over. weeks it would have taken to yeah. get Nate in here, I would have picked the over. Me too. So I'm glad this worked out. So yeah. everyone who's listening, if you don't know, Nate McCollis, he's the founder of um, the Captain's organization and Lakefront Dugout. Um, I'm going to give your, your resume, Nate, a little bit just because I know you don't like talking about yourself too much. Um, Nate is a Kenosha, lifelong Kenosha resident, graduated from Bradford in 2012. 2012, 2012 yeah. 2012, right? And you um, were drafted third round in by the New York Yankees, right? What overall pick number were you? Do you know? 124th. So 123 people were picked before you. 123 were better. Nah, I don't know about that. In baseball, that's not a lot. That's though. nothing. That's yeah. nothing. All right, so third, third round draft pick. And, you know, I, I do like to mention this, too, because so many people think that, you know, if you're drafted, that means you weren't recruited by colleges. You you had, if you didn't go to the Yankees, you would have went to a college, right? Correct. Yep. So um, going through that process was tough. Um, when I was in amateur baseball, I had a, a choice between Vanderbilt or Louisville. And ultimately, I, I chose to play at the University of Louisville. Yep, we all we That's all awesome. have choices like that. Yeah. Very familiar with choices. I know like exactly that. what that decision <laughs> process was like. Yeah, very very <laughs> common. Uh, we're just joking, but you know, actually, I do want to take one step back because this podcast we tailor most of our conversations to travel baseball world. Yes, right. Um, you weren't unfamiliar with travel baseball, right, Nate? Correct. What uh, and you had a pretty unique experience. What what travel baseball teams did you play for? I'll say amateur. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I I've, I played for a number of different teams. Um, it all started when I was twelve years old when I played for the Wisconsin All Stars. It's a team based out of Oshkosh. Um, they just it's a team from all over the state. They pick. They had a tryout. They don't play any games throughout the summer, but. They, they go at the end of the summer, then they, they play at Cooperstown, New York. 
and it was a great experience. It was a week-long tournament. I know a lot of people are familiar with Cooperstown. Did you play at Cooperstown, Jake? I did play at Me Cooperstown. Too. I played at uh, Cooperstown. I do, I, have to, I do have to ask you, did you collect medals? I, or pins? The yeah, pins. The pins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pins. everyone did. They were cool. Yes. And the I coolest one was the one with the little quarter in it, and you can spin it. And really? I, I still have you know, the bag of all of the teams from back in the day. I remember. I still. I do. I remember. That was one of the most fun weeks of baseball I ever had in my life. We met, I still have my pins. We, I'm I do sure too. I still have my oh, pins. I, oh, dude, I got them all pinned to a uh, little little sweat towels. Yeah, super. I cool. got two of those sweat towels things filled up for the pins. I don't know what to do with them anymore. It's a cool um, experience. Well, yeah, maybe it's just maybe, cool to look back one. Yeah, know? it is. Maybe years down the line, we'll auction them off. Captain's podcast <laughs> fundraiser. You can sign them. Yeah, we'll sign them. And uh, there was actually a team from Hawaii when I was there, yeah, which was awesome. pretty cool. So we got to meet some of those kids. And So I know, Nate, that you, you went to Cooperstown. You were, weren't you in Cooperstown for like a year? Not a year. It was a month. Oh, pretty close. Pretty close. One twelve. Um, so I had a good experience. You know, I, I, I played well. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get asked by the owner of Cooperstown to stay in an extra three weeks to play for a team that he created himself, that he handpicked throughout the, the whole summer of Cooperstown. So very fortunate for that opportunity. It, it, the team was called Team Rawlings. Um, so then through that experience, um, I got to play with teams from Virginia, um, California, and it just opened up a lot of doors from, for years to come. So after that, didn't you play, um, so I'm trying to walk through, because you played for more travel teams than I did. Um, so after Team Rawlings, you're probably about 12, 13 at that time. Where'd you play next? So when I was in middle school, I, I, I played for, it was a team called SoCal National Travel Team. Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember that. You know, it was, I remember their jerseys. Yep. It was, uh, again, awesome experience. Um, never, ever ima- imagined that I would have that opportunity um, but I, it opened the doors for a lot of um, different scenarios that I would have never met, people that I would have never met, uh, friends that I'm still friends with to this day, lifelong friends. And from there then, um, I, I played for a team called the Midwest Blazers, which basically was the Red Scout team. Yeah, because wasn't the Reds, because I remember playing against you when you played for the Red Scout team. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that like Stack, Coach Stack? Yep, Coach Andy Stack. Yeah, big guy, right? Yep. I remember and, him. Yep, that gentleman, he's done so much for me. Um, it was him and another gentleman named Kurt Gardner. Okay. Um, the two of them have done wonders for my career. And and then from there, the two of them have helped me then to get onto a program called the East Cobb. It's a, a And pro- if, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know what East Cobb is. East Cobb... And I guess I'll let you confirm or deny, they're kind of like the gold standard of travel baseball. Mm-hmm. If you are on an East Cobb team, in probably in any perspective, you're kind of a guy. You're, you're, you're probably you're, a dude. you're probably top 10% of baseball players in the country. Would, right. you, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of big leaguers come out of that program. Um, so just being a part of it, I, I, my first summer I was on the considered the B team. Um, but again, just to be in the program, I was honored to just be associated with the name East Cobb. And that's in Georgia, right? In Georgia, yeah. Was so, there any, any notable names that you played with? Can you name drop? From East Cobb days? From East Cobb days. Um, Coaches know, or anything? Yep. I mean, so the, the, the year prior, I know Javi Baez was the third baseman on that team. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. Okay. And then I think the only big leaguer that we had for my team was Sky Bolt. He, um, he plays with the A's. Uh, he's still in the big leagues right now. Cool. Okay, so Scotty Bolt. So that's a good. That's a really really good walkthrough of your youth baseball experience because, uh, you know, 
it is interesting that every program does something a little bit differently and you've been on plenty of very high-end travel programs yeah. let's fast forward that's your youth you played at bradford high school um so now you get drafted um i assume people who listen to the podcast know this but maybe they don't in football and baseball if you get drafted you're not uh playing at uh miller park the next day Right, right. right. There's a whole minor league system. So can you just give us a little yeah. bit of a walk? I mean, a lot of, like you said, a lot of people don't understand the whole process of it. They think it's like football. You get drafted and you go right into the league. Baseball, completely different. There's a there's Big a minor difference. league. Yeah. Uh, you, you have rookie ball, A ball, high A, double A, triple A, and then you get into the big leagues. Okay, so just so you get drafted as an American, your first step is what? You go right to rookie ball. Rookie ball, okay. Yep, so I was 18 years old. You go into rookie ball, it's a culture shock. You, I have no idea. I mean, you have stories. People tell you what it's, what it's like. But until you're in the moment, until you live it, you, 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 you can't get prepared for it. You don't know what's going to hit you. Um, so there's kids. Yep. I mean, there's kids from the Dominican Republic, Venezuela. Um, we had kids from Asia. All over the world, you're now competing with them now. So it's a culture shock. It's, it's, it's a, culture it's a shock. baseball and a culture shock. All right. You're hearing languages you've never heard before in your life. Correct. Some so, of them being yeah. English. Right. It's hard to communicate with, with oh, your teammates, you know. And, so it's kind of a – it's got to be a cool thing to – like you said, culture shop, but also cool to – I'm sure you picked up things from teammates, you know, like maybe, even if you don't speak the same language, you're on the ball field together, you're practicing together, you're in the mud together. Oh, baseball is like a – baseball, the culture of baseball, like, transcends languages. Yes. You, know, you, right. can, yeah. you can talk baseball. I was trying to yeah, say yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you can talk baseball but not talk the same language. Right. And really, 18 – is that your first time really substantially away from home going to rookie ball? Yes and no. I mean, I had those experiences then, like we already talked about with Cooperstown. Lived on my own for a month. Got me a little taste of what it was like. I lived in Georgia then for two summers on my own. Um, but again, even though you live on your own, you're trying to grow up, you learn all of these life skills that you wouldn't have if you were living at home with mom and dad and doing your laundry and all that. Um, but you get to pro ball and you are in a man's world it, it is completely mm -hmm. different um you got to grow up quickly and if, if you don't the game's going to spit you out so how long were you in rookie ball so I, I did two seasons of rookie ball it was 2012 repeated 2013 the following year i went into short season then so and i guess this is important because i didn't really know this until during this time me and you were buddies you talked all the time rookie ball are you playing games? Is it more like scrimmages or like, is there, what's the difference between rookie ball and low A? Uh, honestly, I would just say it's, it's just the setting. Yeah. In low A, the talent is pretty, pretty similar. Um, you're going to get guys throwing in, in the mid nineties every single day. There's kids who are equally as talented. Um, they might be a little bit younger of age. Um, but whereas a ball, you're playing at an affiliate with, with a, a stadium with maybe thousands of people at a game, whereas rookie ball, it's more development and less fans, no stadium. It's, it's just the grind of just learning how to be, become a professional. Okay. So cool. your rookie ball, you get promoted to low a, um, how many years are you in low a and kind of what happens next? Yep, so then I, I played in 2016 um, in low A for the Charleston River Dogs. Um, I, we had made it to the playoffs that year. It was a good experience. Um, and then following my, 
my my days. It was my last year. Then in 2017, I, I ended up getting released. Where, you know, the realization to all of that is at some point your playing days are going to come to an end. Um, I again, I was blessed with a great career. Uh, I ultimately, I wish I I could have become a big leaguer. You know, that was my dream since I've been a little kid. Um, I never imagined that I would become a coach. Um, just because I always had this vision of myself being this third-round draft pick, playing at Yankee Stadium, and one day that, that dream was taken away from me. And so, I transitioned then into the coaching side of it then. How many years as a player were you in affiliated baseball? Uh, I mean, it, every year is affiliated baseball. Yeah, well, yeah. so I guess how many years were you in the Yankees organization as a player? I would be three years. Three years? Okay. Three years. And what was the highest level you reached? I played A ball. Okay. Them. Um, so again, did you play high A or did you get the high A ball? I played A ball, just A ball. A ball, okay. Yeah. So you have A ball, high A, double A, triple A. So again, I as a third round draft pick, you you look back at your playing days and you're like, man, I should have done more as a third round draft pick. But as you grow up, you get older, you mature, and you're like, you know what? It that is that's what molded who I was. That's my past. I'm very, um, very fortunate for what has happened. I don't have any regrets. Um, and it, it kind of jumpstarts you for the rest of your life. Then. Oh, for sure. And, you know, never forget, Nate, and people listening to this podcast, people who are sitting here in my position, there's a lot of folks around who do lessons and who run organizations who have some pretty substantial college experience. Mm-hmm. It's just true. But the amount of people who have ever been drafted, to play Major League Baseball. The amount of people who ever put on a Major League affiliated jersey, we're talking less than 1%. Yeah, I mean, it's we're an honor. Less, I mean, it really is an honor. It's, and, it's an honor just and, to, to put the pinstripes on and just to run out to the field. I remember my first day, 18 years old, running out to the field, like, is this really happening? Oh, my gosh, it must be crazy. Yeah. It must be like, like your mind's spinning. Like floating yeah. out to the field. Seriously, yeah. that's awesome. And, you know, you go through your ups and your downs. You know, it's part of professional baseball. It's probably the first time you've, you've probably uh, – that it is the first time that I ever failed um, when I, you get drafted at 18 years old. and But you learn quickly – Hey, I gotta get caught up to the other kids around me. I, I gotta be open minded. I gotta learn from these coaches. I gotta ask questions. And you just start to evolve from there. That's oh. awesome. I, I would um I just wanna ask though, like what was it like or what was it that, that got you to transfer from okay, I get you know, you get released and now you kind of switch this avenue into coaching. What was that like? Or how did that even come yeah, to be? I mean, you know, you just said like you hadn't uh, ever thought about or wanted to be a coach, which is understandable, right? You had your own aspirations as a player. And then that moment comes where you get an opportunity to coach because I feel like it has something to do with the name of the team, right? Right. So, yeah, tell us about that. Um, so it, you come to a point in your life where it's like, this has been my whole life. This is the journey that I've, I've been down, the road I've been down. Yes, you're going to have some roadblocks from from time to time, um, but when I was presented with the opportunity to become a coach, um, it was from a, a man, gentleman named Gary Denbo. He was the farm director of the New York Yankees. Uh, he had just told me that, hey, I don't know where I'm going to be in the future, um, but if you have any aspirations of coaching, please let me know. Um, so that the following year, I had called him up and I said, hey, you know, I, I. 
I spent the year out of baseball and, you know, I think I'm ready to get back into baseball. You know, that's who I am. You know, I, I know the two of you guys. I've grown up with both of you guys. Mm -hmm. Jake, you know, we played wiffle ball in the backyard growing up. Matt, you were my hitting partner um, all through high school. We'd hit till midnight every night. And that's just who we are. Like, we love baseball. It's in our blood. We love talking baseball. Um, so then when I was offered that opportunity, then it's just like, well, you know, I had to really think about, well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I know I love the game. I'm very passionate about it. Um, so I, the following year, I, I called Gary Dembo up and he said, hey, I'm no longer with the Yankees, but Derek Jeter just bought the Miami Marlins. And a lot of people don't know this, um, but Derek Jeter's first manager in professional baseball for the New York Yankees was Gary Denbo. Oh, wow. Um, so this man um, has done wonders for developing the dynasty of the New York Yankees. Um, he's done everything for me as a player and as a coach now. Um, and then he hired me to be a defensive coach um, for the Miami Marlins. And it was rookie ball then, in which would have been 2018. So what now is your current? So 2018, now it's 2023. What's um, your current role? What are you doing now with the Marlins? So current role, um, I'm still a defensive coach. I oversee uh, the outfielders, but I mean, in general, all of defense. And then base running and bunting. And then I'll help out in the cages then for, for hitting as well. Didn't you get a chance to manage a game this year or last year? I mean, I, you tell, me, you I, tell me a good story about I that. I did <laughs> manage this year. I managed what was probably three days. Our, um, again, culture shock where our manager, he's from Venezuela, hadn't seen his wife for, let's say, probably at least at that time, five months. So he had you know the opportunity to go home, see his wife. Um, and then because of that, he had a week off. I had the opportunity to manage then. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, you yeah. know, I think it's so great. I know you don't like talking about yourself a lot, Nate. You're don't, right. you're a really humble guy. No, yeah, you're doing great. You're <laughs> but, doing great. I, but I'm telling you, the amount of people who have lived that kind of life and who have been embedded in that kind of culture, besides, I'm talking about in Kenosha, besides maybe talking to like a Jarvis Brown or an Augie Schmidt, mm -hmm. I don't know who else we talk to who had this kind of experience. Right. In Kenosha, I really don't. No. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so it seems like the Marlins keep you pretty busy. Busy, yep. So I, I'm, so I'm what, gone for seven months out of the year. So why? So what's going on? What made you decide, hey, you want to start a, You want to start the captains? You want to start a lakefront dugout? Like what's that decision? What yeah. was that decision like? Yeah, good question. Um, so... Oh, it was 2018. I got released, trying to figure out what I want to do next with my life after my playing days. At the time, I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the option to be a um, um, a coach yet. Um, my wife and I we had opened up the lakefront dugout. Uh, it's a hitting facility downtown Kenosha. Um, so just started that up, and you know you you got to take baby steps along the ways. Um, but now a few years after they progressed. Uh, the next step was just opening up a baseball program, and the program um, is the Captain's. You know, obviously, you guys know if you're probably listening because it's called the Captain's Corner with Coach Matt and Coach Jake. And Buddy. And, and Buddy. And Buddy Gary. Um, but I, the, the, whole, the whole thought behind the Captain's was just to, to create a product in town for my hometown um, to, to give back to the community, to, to teach kids from 
my playing days with the New York Yankees and my coaching days with the Marlins, from everything that I've learned from pro ball and my journey just to give back to the community and help these kids, whether it's on or off the field, um, the whole mantra or the whole um, what we're about, it's just instilling, trying to instill good values into kids, whether it's being accountable for your actions, um, being respectful, that goes um, along the lines of both on and off the field, respecting umpires, respecting your coaches, um, and and service. Uh, for the captain, service is another big one. Um, just going out in the community and helping others and just lending a helping hand. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I remember when you first started the captains and we were talking about this and me and you chat about a lot of stuff, probably the gambit of things, well, really. For, I started in a row. Yeah, go ahead. The first thing is Coach Matt here, he is one of the main reasons why I started the program. I remember having a conversation like, shoot, should I? Should we should we do this? Should we not? Like this is gonna be a lot of work. This is gonna be um, you know, it's gonna be a challenge. And Matt, again, has been one of my best friends growing up, my hitting partner, and he's like, Hey, let's do it. And I was like, All right, if I have your support, if you're if you promise me that you're gonna be involved, you know, let's try to create something good for the community. Well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy I pushed you or nudged you toward the right direction. Right direction, I hope. Even though I think Atlanta. <laughs> well, I'll talk about Atlanta, that later. <laughs> that's, a that's a different conversation. But um, no, I think you know when we had those early conversations and when we were talking a lot about baseball in Kenosha, you know, the one thing that you kept saying and that I just think was so true is that we just wanted to, or you really wanted to elevate the knowledge and coaching available to kids in Kenosha, you know, and I think in the biggest thing that I see with the captains and it's something that I think I really hope the listeners understand, um, the stuff we're teaching, the stuff that you teach the kids, the stuff that you teach the kids, you teach me and Jake, right? Where's this coming from? This is coming directly from coaches that I've learned from directly in pro ball. Yeah, so it's coming from, you know, I hate to say this terminology, but it's coming straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah. We and all want to yeah. get better. And Listen people, to who's doing it. And people are going to think like, oh, this is coming from Nate or our coaches. And it's like, well, I learned it from somewhere too. Right. Like, you know, this is not just my, this is not mine. I, I've stolen it, you know, great ideas from a, a bunch of different experienced coaches along the way. What are your thoughts about this? And this is kind of a tangent, but not really. When I coach, I think about the stuff that I say comes from like a couple different spheres. One of them is stuff that I was coached, like someone that someone coached me that I thought worked. Another sphere is things that I've learned just from being a coach. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen players do this. And then the last one, which I think is probably the most important, but maybe not, maybe it is, stuff that I experienced playing, where it's like, I just know this works. I can't put my finger on it. No one told me this, but I just know this works. I try to blend all of that in mm-hmm. when I coach. Like, do you, I mean, you are truthfully a professional coach. Do you feel that way too? You kind of take it from everyone? Yeah, I would agree to that. Where when I first got into coaching, you know, a lot of the times you just want to be liked and, and accepted. And one of the, you know, one of the, I don't want to say one of the guys and the boys, but you learn that along as you grow up and evolve as a coach as well, those guys have enough friends themselves they have their teammates they got their buddies they don't need more friends they need mentors they need people to to teach them life skills or 
different experiences that you've had as a player along the way as well. Or oh, just yeah. even a, a guide, you know, yeah. someone someone with that knowledge to guide them through that journey, that process. And really, what is a coach? And we, we've said this on a couple podcasts. A yeah. coach is someone who can take you from where you are to get you where you want to be, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times, a lot of times that takes a little bit of pressure, yeah. right? You know, if, if someone really wants to be an amazing baseball player, a top 1% in the whole world, they're going to have to do some things that are hard. And right. let's be honest, not everyone wants to do hard things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, Nate, you see the high end of baseball, right? Because some guys that you're coaching now, you know, they were player of the year in college. They played in the SEC. They were high round draft picks. Yep. And you see, you know, a seven-year-old kid who just starting, who wants to just learn baseball. Right. Right. I assume <laughs> there's probably difficulty in coaching both. Right. So let's start with probably the hardest one. When you get a guy fresh out of who's just drafted, right, just brand new guy drafted, he's out of, you know, some big school, and he comes into the professionals. Um, what's difficult about, like, like, how do you coach a player like that that's that good? Like, that's already so st- uh, accomplished. Right. I mean, I, great question. Um, so when you're you got a kid that comes from college, maybe he comes from the SEC, the ACC, um, I, I think what players want to know is that are you going to be honest with me and are you going to be truthful? That's big. It's big. It's big. And if you can be honest with the kid and say, hey, you know, you – I've seen you do better before. Hey, I, you're you're going down the wrong, um, wrong road right now. That's going to hit home with him more than – um, you just butter him up all the time. Butter him up and telling him to be like a, a yes man and just being like, yep, that looks good. That looks good. That looks good. Yeah. Like, no, hey, that does not look good. Right. I, sometimes you have to give them honesty. And kids today in this generation can't always accept the honest truth. It is hard to receive. Well, You also, can see that. You can see it. If right. you're a guy, if you're a goal, I get drafted and I step onto a, major, uh, a low A baseball field. If your goal is to be a big leaguer, you want people to tell you the nitty-gritty truth to get you there. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes, I guarantee you probably had these conversations before, Nate. Have you ever had a conversation with a guy in the Marlins organization where you're just like, hey, you're just not getting it done? Like, you need to get this. Like, this has to change. Right. Like, I mean, I assume you've had conversations like of that. Of course, yeah. I mean, and as a coach, um, someone once told me that you coach like your personality or, Very true. I or see that how way. you wish that you would have been coached as a player. That's how you coach. Um, so there's times I, I catch myself over coaching yeah. as a young coach. Um, so as I've experienced as a coach now for six years, sometimes it, the, the hardest part is just biting your tongue of not coaching just to let that kid try it himself maybe to fail a little bit and now when he's ready to approach you now you got him hooked yep and it's probably different that's for beautiful. each it's probably different for each player cuz there yeah. is a group of players who need some overcoaching yeah. like there's some kids you got to like hey i need to be that like fly on the wall like, yep. i'm going to correct you 10 out of 10 times yep. but then there's some other kids like exactly how you said and i do i mean i think me and you Nate have somewhat similar personalities i do agree sometimes watching that player fail knowing this is the best thing for him Mm -hmm. is very hard right very hard so 
that's some talk about what you do with the Marlins. How about now in a totally different world, um, you see a seven to 10 year old kid come into the captain's program, you know, a young player. Um, what are some difficulties coaching that young player? Yeah, I, I guess I would say like the most difficult part is just making it age appropriate. Yeah. Making it fun. Making actually, it fun. We actually yeah. just said this in the last podcast. There's yeah. so many levels to this. There's so many levels. I find that if you coach a level above or two or three levels above, the player loses interest. Right. And, I mean, I'm talking like a 10-year-old. Right. Yeah, and just learning from experience of like if you try to make it too technical, and we've had some camps along the ways, and I love the videos. I love to break them down. And um, at the camps, these kids don't want to uh, – depending on the age they don't always want to just watch these mechanics and break down swings it's about building approaches and that's something that we can get into next um but again if you can make it competitive if you can make it fun um that goes a long ways for these kids yeah approaches i like that i like that uh a little segue that was smooth yeah we are, we are going to talk smooth. about approaches I, think, good. I can't wait yeah let's talk about I guess, Nate, if you want to – so we're going to talk about hitting approaches, correct? Sure, yeah. What, how would you define – if I'm a person listening to this podcast and I want to listen to this with my son, like define what a hitting approach even means, like yeah, broadly. I mean, that's, it's a deep question because it's like you got to ask yourself, what is your approach? And a lot of kids will say, I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's just knowing – how is that guy trying to get me out, and what is the shape of the pitch? What is my plan prior to stepping in the box of what I'm looking for? What am I hunting, and where is my zone that I want the ball in? So I guess if we could take a step back, you said your approach. I assume that means everyone approach, everyone has a different approach, correct? I would say you have a different approach every at-bat. Yeah. Maybe it's even pitch to pitch. Maybe I have two strikes. Maybe my first at bat, it's first a right-handed pitcher who's, you know, I'd say 6'4". Now my next at bat, it's against a guy who's a sidewinder with a left-handed pitcher. So generally, if I could give a broad definition, and correct me if you want to add or detract what I'm saying, an approach is, a hitting approach is a hitter's plan before he gets to the plate on how he's going to be successful. Yes, is that, is that pretty pretty fair? Yeah. All right. So now, so that's what so that's the blanket of what approach is. That's the umbrella. Now let's talk about. Let's say let's work our way down. Let's say I'm a big leaguer or someone who you coach for the Marlins. Um, okay, I want to have a good plan to be successful. Where do I start drawing up this plan? How do I start? Where do I start with an approach? Right. I mean, it, it's drastically different from professional baseball to amateur baseball yeah let, let's uh, work our way down let's do yeah. pros and get down in there. pro ball the night before you get video sent to you of the starting picture who you're gonna face so you can you can game plan you can start to see how his ball is moving and what the shape is whereas for the amateur baseball you might not get video on a certain picture you might have not, never have seen him but maybe your buddy in the dugout faced him in high school or with the previous team and he can kind of give you some information about whether the the ball his fastball sinks whether it's straight whether it cuts every fastball is going to be a little bit different is that what you mean by pitch shape 
shape, yes. So and, and so just for people to know, because I think that is a newer term. That term was not used a lot when I was playing, but it's very frequent now. I think it's a great term. What do you like what does pay, pitch shape mean? Like what is right. that what is that reference? Right. Well, again, how would you describe that pitch? Does it is it loopy? So the it, angle it, comes out of the hand. The angle, the, yes. the angle and the trajectory comes out of the hand. Correct. And that's important because people want to recognize the pitch. Correct. So I, I need to know what tunnel I need to set my sights at. Um, I have my zone where I want the ball. Maybe I'm a, I'm a low ball hitter. I like the ball down. Love that you're mentioning that. But go ahead. I'm, yeah. I'm going to take a step back. Go Maybe ahead. I like the ball down. Well, the ball's not going to start down all the time. So maybe I'll have to raise my sights a little bit to look up a little bit so the ball ends up down in my box okay i like that and yeah, it's just about that yeah. last podcast with the sinker really? the yeah. sinker analogy you yeah. got to know where that ball is going to start so it's going to end up in my box and my box should be your approach the easiest you know for the lowest level when it comes to younger kids now would be sitting middle middle fastball being on time for the fastball and being on and, and being ready for a bad breaking ball. Mm-hmm. And a lot of kids, they want to guess. They want to look fastball now that's a bet. Now they want to look breaking ball. Now they're ready for, you know, they're, they're trying to hit a changeup. And they're, they're looking for everything and they're not ready for anything. Mm-hmm. That's huge and a really good. One thing I want to focus on, though, before you have a successful approach, you said, and when you were just describing it, you said, let's say you're a low ball hitter. I think before you even have an approach, you have to understand what your strengths are yeah, and sure, what sure. your weaknesses are. Yep. So I'm, I'm, right now I'm discussing, let's say, a high school or a college or even a pro ball player. In order to have a good approach, you have to know what you want, right? And we do this a lot at the captain's program. It's something I think that makes us unique. Um, you talk about those hitting zones. Correct. Right. So in order to know, let's say I'm a low ball hitter, right? Essentially, you're talking about zones, right? Mm-hmm. So can you describe if, if I'm a hitter listening to this and I'm like, man, you know, sometimes I like the ball inside. Sometimes I like it outside. Um, is there a way we can use zones for me to learn my own strengths? For sure. I mean, again, it's just watching the game. I think kids at the amateur level, they, they don't watch the game enough. They don't talk about baseball enough. Whether it's watching the guy warm up in the bullpen, you know, are you on deck on time just to see, hey, is the kid missing arm side consistently? Mm-hmm. Well, if he's missing arm side, well, hey, I can maybe eliminate pitches once in a while. Love that. And, you know, so the zones and if you're a captain's program, if you're in the program, you're probably familiar with this. We do a lot of hitting that's based on six, seven balls, right? Seven balls. Seven balls. Seven ball zone. Right, So you put seven balls across home plate, and the ball that's closest to you on the inside corner, that's one. Is that my correct, Nate? Yeah. Right? And the farthest one away from you is a seven. So a lot of times we talk about, one, recognizing where the pitch is, and two, understanding you know, what, what balls do I just hit well? Am I a two-to-four ball hitter? Am I a three-to-six ball hitter? Um, so before you even talk about approach, in the winter, when we're hitting, when we're flipping, when we're throwing BP – Trying to make that mind-muscle connection of, hey, I like, depending on my mechanics and what I'm looking for, that two-to-three ball, right, two-to-four ball. Mm -hmm. So understanding that 
you would agree, is a prerequisite. Before you can have an approach, you got to understand what you're looking for. Right. Right? That's huge. Okay. So how about, is your approach dictated at all by the pitcher? 100%. Oh, yes. Okay, explain. 100% is dictated by the pitcher because what if the guy is on the first base side of the rubber? What if he's on the third base side of the rubber? It's all going to change where the slot's going to come out, where my sights are. You know, if the guy has a lot of sync to it, well, maybe I got to push him up in the zone a little bit. I got to set my sights higher a little bit just so the ball is going to end up where I like the ball. Now we're talking about one through seven. Well, early in the count, historically, the best balls that we're going to hit are probably going to be two, three, and four. Um, so when we're talking about one through seven, you, you pick three balls or you cut the plate in half because you can't you, you can't hit the whole plate. It, it, it's just too challenging. Maybe at the amateur level you can, but when you get up into college and a pro ball, you got to give them credit too. You know, oh, they make yeah, good pitches as well. And I think the more you advance in this game, the more you have to advance with your approach. You said it earlier, but I want to just double tap it. Probably before the age of before the age of 16, your approach should probably be I'm looking middle third fastball. Yep. Right, is that fair? I would say it should be like a c- controlled home run derby OO. I want my ball right here where I'm looking two pitches where now if I'm looking two three pitches I can expand slightly. Yep. But if I'm looking the whole plate, now that's when you start to get that strike zone discipline where it's now you're starting to chase now. Now you're chasing pitches that aren't good. We're going back to a controlled home run derby where it's like I'm looking middle, middle. This is the pitch that I want to hit. If it's not there, I'm off it. It might be a strike. Yes. However, it's not a pitch that I can do damage on. Agree. We, we did actually touch up on that a little bit at the end of the last episode as well. We did. And I think, and the reason why I think that that approach is simpler and better for the vast majority of youth players is because your approach is dictated by the stuff of the pitcher. And I say this because you probably experience this, Nate. You probably experience this, Jake. If you're facing a pitcher that has a pitch you don't want to hit, right? Let's say it's a lefty lefty, very good slider, right? Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to not. You do not want to be in a position where you need to hit that slider. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Oh, oh, I'm probably a little bit more fastball aggressive, right? Yeah. Because I'm trying to shy away from that pitch. Now, at the youth level, right, oh, oh, and I'm 13 years old, I'm looking for my best fastball and adjusting because you can, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you have that adjustability. Yeah, and maybe you faced that guy before and you know, hey, I, I've struggled against this kid. He's got a good breaking ball. You know, he he beats me on his fastball. Maybe I go to my B swing right away. B swing meaning maybe it's my two strike approach, where oh oh early in the count, I don't have to get my best swing off because I know hey this guy's got some movement that doesn't really equate to my swing, and it's gonna be you know it's gonna be a dog fight. It's gonna be hard this at bat. I got to go straight to my B swing just to compete in the box against him. Do you see a lot of big leaguers, guys who are new to the big leagues, having to adjust or really address their approaches? 100%. I mean, guys who are coming from the AAA to the big leagues, it is a huge difference. It it is a – guys think that what worked for them in in AAA, oh, that will translate to the big leagues, and it's false. I mean, you really have to dominate the – 
um, the plate. If you if you show anybody in the big leagues that you are are willing or if, if you're going to chase pitches, maybe a ball off the plate. Well, now they're going to now they know they they got you now. Now they're going to just start to inch you off of the plate on yeah, the next more pitch. More and more and more and more. More. So it's like if you can show them that you can be stubborn. Stubborn is a big word. If you can be stubborn in my zone, now they got to come to you on your plate. Now they, they can't just nibble with you off the side of, on the black. They got to come to you. They're going to make mistakes too. I mean, they're creatures of habits. Are they going to hit their spot three times in a row? Probably not. Yeah, and so if that's a big jump between the big leagues, minor leagues, those approaches – You've coached, you were very familiar with all the players and the captains. Let's say youth. What do you see as the biggest pitfall in youth approaches? Uh, Good question. I I would say, again, is that it it changes from pitch to pitch, at bat to at bat, where it's like maybe they face the guy and they hit a double off the kid in the right center field gap. Next to that bat, they're coming up, oh, he's not going to throw me a fastball. He's got to throw me a breaking ball. It's like, no. Be on time for the fastball. Mm-hmm. Be on time for the fastball and be ready for a bad breaking ball. Kids tend to, they look off speed. Yes, can you guess pitches and guess right once in a while? Correct. But take it to Vegas. If you are in Vegas and you're gambling, the house, everyone always knows the house always wins. They got skyscrapers, they got big buildings. They got big buildings because people lost a lot of money gambling. Mm -hmm. So if you apply that to hitting, where if you want to gamble and you want to guess pitches, yeah, you might guess right, but in the long run, you're going to lose. So the best approach is to be on time for the fastball. Let's hit a hard line drive back through the middle. That is the easiest approach that works all all the time. We we, we touched on last episode, Nate, about uh, timing and – uh, external and internal timing and um, so that let's tie in a little bit um, we, we kind of touched on it last episode but let's tie in a little bit to like the pitch to pitch approach right so we kind of talked about ways you can uh, if you're late maybe on the first pitch you get your fastball you wanted but you you swung right through it maybe you're a little late right and we and Matt we talked about this too you can touch on it a little bit if you want but let's talk about a little bit about the approach between pitches, like during the, like in the middle of the at-bat? Well, I'll just, I mean, just to kind of tap, I, I want to hit it one thing before I go into that. I see the biggest fall, Nate, fault in youth approaches is that it's not swing, 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 take. It's not swing until you take. Would you agree that's a decent approach? I mean, in my mind, I should be thinking swing, 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 take. Like yes. we have to have... Aggressive mindset. Yes, you have to be, especially at the youth level, I get it, I umpire too. If you take enough pitches between the ages of 12 and 16, you'll probably get walked a bunch. But mm-hmm. if we want to progress as baseball players, no, you can't walk off the island, as some right. people say. Yeah. We have to be ready to hit. I would much rather, and I, I tried to talk about this with Coach Labuda. We didn't really get in that conversation. But to me, a telltale sign of a good youth player, youth, not a college, youth, is that they're a little over-aggressive. Like, I'd be okay with a kid who's a little over-aggressive because he knows he has to do damage with his bat. Like, to me, if I can, like, 
crack that into kids' minds at 10 where, hey, if you're going to win, it's going to be because you're swinging. I think that's a huge mental shift that will help a youth team. I think at the youth level, it's teaching kids how to be ultra-aggressive, and you can always turn down the dial from there. Teach them how to rein it in and channel it. Yep. So, I mean – you got two spectrums. You got the kid that's ultra passive with two strikes. You got the kid that's ultra aggressive. You get two strikes, you know, and say it's 2 2, the kid's going to be hacking away. Well, maybe if you know the kid is too aggressive, now we can start to, to coach and we can work off of that. Um, but again, it should always be a, a, um, a damage approach. A, an aggressive mindset because you can build off of that. It, it's really hard to go the other way around and have a passive approach and try to maybe, hey, let's just put the ball and play with two strikes. And then turn it on. Yeah. And then turn it on. And I think just naturally, and just from seeing lots of players, I think 90% of kids have to be taught to get out of that passive approach. Yeah. I think the passive approach is like the natural state. Like most kids, you know, they're a little bit nervous when they first start playing. They're nervous to get hit by the ball. That 10, 11 age, they might start to get out of it. But I do think that's a coaching point that we all need to work on. Like, hey, we are only going to win games by us doing damage. We're only going to do damage if we are aggressive and ready to hit. That's a huge shift. That's huge. I mean, just fighting, being in the box and competing. um, You might have the prettiest swing. I mean, we've all, you know, we've been around the game a long time. You might have a great swing, but that doesn't translate then you know, when you're up against the ropes now, are you going to just give in and say, oh, this guy's got me beat, you know, like, I, I can't I can't compete against this guy? Or are you going to be in that dogfight and grind and say, hey, it's me against you. I'm in a boxing ring. Who's going to win the fight? It's definitely not going to be you. It's got to be the mindset that it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. How do you know if you have a bad approach? <laughs> If you're if you're a kid listening to this, you're like, man, I don't know if my approach is good or not. <laughs> I mean, I know. Uh, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to know what you're gonna say. But for me, it's like, from my experience, I was so wrapped up in success all the time of like getting that hit, getting that result, and until you start to mature, you, you've been around some older players, veteran players, and you learn that hey. I'm willing to sacrifice maybe 10, 15, 20 at-bats to try something new to get out of my comfort zone. That's huge, getting out of that comfort zone. Comfort zone. A lot of kids have that security blanket on. They're passive. You know, they, you know, it, it, it's not comfortable. No one likes to be uncomfortable. Um, but having the mindset of willing to sacrifice a couple at-bats for the longevity of your career, it's huge. And it takes it takes maturity to get to that point. I mean, it takes years of yeah. of knowing your swing. I would say if you if you think that uh, you need a different approach or maybe you don't have one at all, and you're listening to this, like Coach Matt was saying, and you're like, well, that doesn't sound like my approach. But when you're in the box, you're uncomfortable. You know, you're you're finding it hard to get your pitch, or you're swinging at pitches you wouldn't swing at in a cage. Let's say that's good, right? Um, I think it's like we kind of touched on this. Like, take a look in the mirror, you know. Look at your, look at your, maybe not your your entire um, conclusion of what happened at bat because maybe you hit a line drive, you hit a, you know, you hit a good ball that somebody just caught. But if if you're going at bat and after at bat and you're uncomfortable and your kind of mind's racing, like you're saying, you're guessing pitches, 
you know, and you're not guessing right, you know, what do you think, Coach Matt? I'd say that when I was a catcher, if I would see a hitter who would take a first pitch fastball and then swing at a curveball in the dirt, I'd be like, this, guy, this guy is all jacked up. He has I, no I, plan. Exactly. I, to me, that's the biggest – two telltale signs. One, you get blown up on an OO pitch, like jam shot, because what does that tell me? That tells me that you're looking for a fastball, maybe you still can't hit it, or you're looking for everything and you can't hit it. So right. that's a big telltale sign. And two, and this is so common, this in high school baseball, this is the biggest common mistake that I used to preach kids. If you take a fastball and then swing at a curveball in the dirt, that literally means you aren't looking for a fastball and you haven't determined where what pitch shape the curveball has to be. Right. So what are you even doing? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say... If you are in a position where you are constantly looking for something and not getting it or looking for something and swinging at the other pitch instead, that your approach is jacked up. And how you fix it, Coach Nate said it. I said it last podcast. Being willing to make the change. You can't just say, hey, man, you know, I looked for a fastball. I took it 0-1. I looked for a fastball. took it 0-2 and swung for a curveball in the dirt. And think that, oh, well, next time, you know, maybe I'll get that fastball and I'll like it better. No, your approach is wrong. You have to make an adjustment now. Yeah. Bite your, you know, bite your tongue for maybe five at-bats and then you'll be fine. Right. But you can't keep doing the same thing. And, and it's hard at the, at the youth level because then you play weekend to weekend to weekend. And it's like, hey, I just had two bad weekends maybe. It feels like a long time. Yeah. Whereas in yeah. pro ball, you got five at-bats every night. Am I going to be ready for that fifth at bat in the ninth inning when we're down by one run with the guy in second base? And five at bats tonight, now it adds up to another five at bats the next night, five at bats the next night. Hey, I just got 30 at bats in, in basically four or five days. That's a lot of at bats. And when you get to pro ball, you got to, it starts with an approach. And if you don't have an approach, hey, good luck. And I, I would take a step back. If you're like a 10 year, if you're a parent of a youth, youth, youth player, like 8, 9, 10, 11, I'd say I'd keep their approach. Their approach is failing them if they're taking a lot of strike threes. And I, I say that because, again, I umpire, I get it. The zones are the zones. But if your son is 10 and his most common out is a strikeout looking, that should tell you, hey, his approach isn't swing, 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 take. His approach isn't I'm going to try to do damage. He has a passive approach that's mm-hmm. not doing what needs to be done. Correct. So, and at the youth level, it's like how many breaking balls are these kids at 10, 11, 12-year-olds really seeing? And I, I, I want to finish this, this conversation with the last thing. You said eliminating pitches. What does that mean? And how do you do it? It's just watching the game. If, if you can see the guy in his warm-up that he's not – he cannot consistently throw his breaking ball or maybe his changeup. Well, hey, I can eliminate his changeup maybe, and now instead of three pitches, I got two pitches to worry about. Mm-hmm. I got fastball, breaking ball. I'm on time for the fastball. I'm ready for the bad – the hanger breaking ball. That's it. And I'm telling you, this is what I want to tell folks listening. If you can properly eliminate pitches, you can make hitting so easy. Correct. I'm yeah. telling you – and I am using my own experience for this. I would eliminate pitches. I, lo- I used to love hitting off sidearm righties as a lefty. Because you know what I would do? I would stand close to the plate and say, I'm going to force them to throw it inside, which is hard because they got to come all the way across the plate. Mm-hmm. So if they do, it's probably like right down the middle. 
if it's a slider, any spin, I'm taking it because it's hard for them to throw off-speed pitches as, as a side armor. Mm-hmm. And change-ups have to start at my chest or else it's going to be a ball. So now think about it. I'm essentially hitting one pitch, a low and away outside fastball. Because mm-hmm. ev- everything else, spin, take. It should be for two strikes. Right. Well, I even did it even total. I did it total. I mean, again, I'm, we're talking, I'm not talking big league level here. But, you know, my approach when I face the sidearm guy is I'm eliminating three pitches – and I'm looking for one spot because that's the, the, the spot that they're really shooting for. Right. right. And you can do that different situations for different people. But if you can eliminate, you know, if I'm on deck and I see the guy throw three curveballs between innings and they're all balls, my approach might be I'm not even swinging at a ball that spins until he can prove to me he can throw a first strike. Right. And a lot of times it's, it, it, kids at a young age, they want to go to mechanics. It's not always about mechanics. I know that you guys had mentioned that the previous topic that you guys talked about was about timing. 90% of the time, the kid is just not on time for the fastball. Now he's in between pitches. It is funny because all of us have gotten things throughout the year, little videos from kids like, hey, what's wrong with my swing? I'm not hitting the ball. And the first thing you notice is they're not on time. You know, their, their load either is too late or, you know, it's rushed or whatever. It's just, it's just one of those things where, it's a big misconception, I think, in youth baseball when, yeah. when it comes to hitting. On time and swinging at good pitches. Mm-hmm. And if you know how to be, if you know how to use your lower half properly and get to a strong p- position, now you can recognize and have some adjustability. Yeah. And if you're, I mean, we talk about this, but think about it. If you're not on time, you know how hard it is to hit a baseball if it's right up on your hip? Oh, it's, yeah. There's, there, there's no mechanics that can fix that. Not a fun time. But there's no mechanics that can say, hey, this ball's jamming me. I'm going to have a great hit now. No mechanics can fix that. <laughs> no. That's a timing thing. Yeah. Just like a boxer. A boxer can't put, a boxer can't have a, uh, you know, a big hit if the guy's too far away. Right. That's not a mechanic issue. That's a timing and a spacing issue. Yeah. So no mechanics can fix bad spacing. That could be a saying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very true. And I feel like early on at my professional level, um, when I was 18 years old, I would tell myself. I remember calling my dad up, having conversations. Like, it cannot be that easy of just being on time for the fastball. Like, it's got to be something more. Like, what is that magic pixie dust? Like, what is that secret pill out there that I got to learn? What Miguel Cabrera is doing? What Mike Trout is doing? Like, what is he doing differently? And it, it cannot just be get to a strong position and begin time. But as you progress and you get older, like, hey, you got to simplify the game. The game is hard. You're facing guys with good stuff every single night. Yeah. If you're in college, that Friday night guy, he's going to bring his best stuff at you. You got to be able to have an approach, a plan, and simplify the game. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that, I think, and especially to the youth players, in order to know yourself and to know your swing, you have to take reps, reps, right. reps, reps. Yep. Because I, I say this a lot of times in my lessons. In order to make an adjustment from A to B, you have to know what B, what A feels like. Right. right? Yeah. If, if you right. don't know, if you don't know what A feels like, how can you adjust it to B? Right. So, mm-hmm. and that's why you know the captains we offer, you know the the open cages and time to work. If you can get time in outside of your scheduled practice to get those reps in ideally with a coach doesn't have to be but if you can get those reps in to know yourself now you can actually adjust right because mm-hmm. you can't adjust if you don't know and it's hard to adjust mid-season i mean mid-season it's mid-season like, hey, yeah. hey what right. are you gonna do like yeah. we had the whole off-season train it's hard to make these drastic adjustments 
um, from game to game, tournament to tournament at the youth level. And, you know, you brought up a good point where it's like when you're young, you have to learn what it takes to to be successful, what works, what doesn't work. I remember with you, Matt, we would swing two two hours a day, maybe two times a day, three times a day. That's over swinging, over training, overworking. But at the youth level, hey, you sometimes have to overtrain just to learn yourself. There's a there's a balance where but then you get older, you mature as a baseball player, and then you learn, hey, I don't need to hit a hundred swings a day. Maybe I can I can hit maybe twenty-five swings a day, three rounds, and I feel good about my swing. I'm gonna I'm in a good spot, but it, it takes years to get to that spot. Yeah, that in order to take like 25 swings and feel something, that's an advanced thing. It's an advanced. You know, and I say this all to all my lessons. If 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 I'm doing a lesson to a kid that's in college, and I'm working with a college guy, I should be able to tell him to do a change in his body, a body mechanics change, and he should be able to do it within a couple swings because he knows his body. Right. I don't expect that for a 12 year old. No, I don't expect right. that for a 13 year old. So that's why, to me, the biggest thing. In order to have a good approach, you have to have a repeatable swing that you know. Mm-hmm. And how do you get that? Reps, reps with a coach, and that's that mechanic world. There's the mechanic world, there's the timing world, there's the approach world. They're all connected, but they're all different. Right. And then when it goes back to the captains, then it's youth baseball. We try to make it fun, we try to make it exciting for the kids. Let's simplify the process where it doesn't have to be about you know, all this clutter in kids' head. Let's make it into three different sections. Are you on time? How's your lower half? And how's your posture? Usually those three fundamental components, it's something going to be breaking down with those three things. If you got good posture, good timing, and good lower half, you're going to be a good hitter. What? There's, not, there's, there's nothing else more yeah, to it. Yeah. No, but if you it. start to yeah. coach now where it's like, you know, my elbow can be a little bit higher or... You know, this, it's just, it's too tedious. It's too nitpicking. Micromanaging. Micromanaging, where big picture, try to simplify it for kids where they, it's easy for them to learn and for them to have fun. Okay, cool. Well, we're almost uh, wrapping up out of time here. Uh, I'd like to thank Coach Nate for coming in yeah, Nate, and giving us this thank time. you. I, I hope you come back because, I mean, we could do an hour just chatting with you. I mean, we've barely talked about one topic. There's a lot right. more topics we can talk about. Hey. I do want to add one more thing, though. Huh. Is Field of Dreams a baseball oh, movie? Oh, I knew this was going to come. Is it a baseball movie? Field of Dreams is a baseball movie. Wow. I like How it. is wow. it not a baseball movie? That's wow. what I've been trying to tell him, Nate, this whole <laughs> because time. Because there's, n- there's no point. Baseball is not the point of the movie. The movie is this guy who went to Berkeley, who's now a farmer, who's making bad life decisions. He is now trying to have a relationship with his dad. Jesus, That's the Nate, point Nate, of the movie. The whole the movie. Is, hang on. The thing is, though, is that in order for, for Matt to come up with this, he had to watch the movie, take notes. I think he took three, four pages of notes. I watched I it. To show you just I watched it for. Me, I watched tell it for me ten any minutes. Movie. Tell me, give, give me one movie. Major League Three, Back to the Minors. No, no, other than 62, baseball, 61. Under, sixty-one. Okay. Other than baseball, yeah. The first movie that pops in your head, Avengers. Okay. So is that not about superheroes? It's definitely about superheroes. <laughs> is it not about having? No, it's about a billionaire guy in a robot suit who has the ego the size of a pumpkin. <laughs> 
The Wolf of it Wall Street. It is a baseball movie. Okay, but the Wolf is that not about accounting and banking and the, Wall Street and? But the Wolf of the Wolf of and Wall the stock Street market? is not about taxes. No, it's about eating twenty thousand dollars of sides <laughs> at a restaurant. <laughs> no, it is definitely. A I'm telling. Okay, well, how about this? Next time you come on, we'll start with that. All right. This has been the Captain's Corner podcast, brought to you by Buddy Garrity Motors. Stop in today for a low APR, no interest rate on your first Chevy Silverado.